0: Michael and Ethan in a room with scotch. We are Michael and Ethan. We are in a room. Mm -hmm. We are each in a room. Mm -hmm. We don't have scotch, even though it is a main episode. Um, The only excuse I have for this is that at least these first two episodes where we're drinking Red Breast Single Pot Still Irish Whiskey are going to come out in the month of March. So we're, like, semi-adjacent to St. Patrick's Day? Yeah, um, sure. I think they call that, like, excuse ipso post facto in mm-hmm. in the, the courts. Um, <laughs> just, like, a thing I thought of afterwards to justify the thing I was already going to do. I just felt like yep. drinking Red Breast. I saw the, the Red Breast single pot still uh, loose-style bottling on the shelf, and I wanted it. Mm-hmm. And I said, what better excuse for this then that i'm going to make michael drink it with me
1: so what you're saying is you saw it you wanted it you took it you got it
0: yeah and uh if i could remember anything about what song that was i would do a joke too but here we are uh oh no i'm flying away <laughs>
1: Uh, I, I appreciate that as a, a thing that returns now yeah I, we're we are we are
0: like and considering that it's been two weeks since the last episode and who knows mm-hmm. how much of that uh exchange got into that episode like this is really a super out of like contextless thing and mm-hmm. i do require that we do continue to do it with the podcast going forward <laughs> <Yes>. uh <laughs> Ad, ad absurdum, as the youth say these days.
1: Ah, <laughs> oh, <those> youths. <laughs>
0: um, yeah. Anyway, uh, I started talking about the whiskey way too early, and now I don't know where I am in a, in the script. But we're Michael and Ethan in a room of scotch. Oh yeah, we did that. Yep. We did the thing. Uh, you said some stuff, so I'm gonna count that. I introduced sure. the scotch. Uh, I guess I need Karen to read the rules I yeah. guess we're there hey Karen yeah. you, you know this would like it would the introductions would flow much more organically if I didn't like insecurely feel the need to point out exactly where we were in what we have <laughs> a, as a, of a script every time but here we are <laughs> anyway
1: hi. you need to you need to like write it on each of your fingers like each of the steps then, like I'm like, Uncle... a tattooed Oh, have it tattooed,
0: okay. Yeah. I was gonna say or, like Yeah,
1: you know, like Uncle Billy, you know, tie it on your fingers.
0: Thank you for getting what I was about to say just for me saying the word Uncle. Because that's yep. literally <laughs> what I was about to say, Uncle Billy with his, his his things on his knuckles, which he never remembers and probably would go the same way for me.
2: Oh, <laughs> uh, it's uh, great.
0: Fun fact, you know the part in It's a Wonderful Life where Uncle Billy wanders off stage drunk? and like crashes into some like garbage cans Mm -hmm. down the way
1: i'm all right i'm all right yeah
0: so famously a stagehand had dropped a bunch of stuff just like as he wandered out of that (laughs) shot um and it was a it was super a mistake but uh oh i can't remember the The actor's name i want to say billy mitchell but i think that's the general and or senator from wisconsin um uh thomas mitchell thomas mitchell thank you yeah so thomas mitchell just like saw this happen and just went with it and uh capra loved it so much he he just kept it um that's yeah that's perfect right uh anyway uh so yeah karen read the rules please
2: Rule one, once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two, no one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule three, Ethan must never say the phrase, first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule 4. Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule 5. If anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so, because this podcast is anti-UTI. Rule number 6. The wives are entitled to one glass of scotch or some equivalent beverage. Rule number seven. If four scotch-centric episodes pass with no losses, then everyone loses.
0: And what happens if someone breaks the rules?
2: If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone drink responsibly.
0: Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle, Gentle listener. Thank you, Karen. She had been standing there, like, giving me this glare because it's the seven millionth time she's heard me tell that story. Um, <laughs> about, and you about made her
2: just stand Uncle in the doorway Billy. waiting. Yeah,
0: well, because I had, I had uh, you know, called her in, I think originally, if we reviewed the tapes uh and then launched into that um you know that whole that whole story that she's like uh heard a billion times i think so yeah anyway uh Mm -hmm. thank you for reading the rules karen i guess it is time to pour the drink And, schlank. Skunk. <laughs> so. As I remember, ah, yes, wait, shoot. Ah, yes. I meant to do, hmm. Hmm.
1: give me one second. I'm going to see if I can find something. Okay. And now it has officially been more than one second. That's a terrible joke to make. But I make it all the time. No, nope. ah!
0: I couldn't find it instantly, so I'm gonna do this off the top of my head, uh, because I. That's
1: where your headphones are.
0: Thank you. Um, <laughs> I thought that perhaps mm. my copy of Lost in the Cosmos by Walker Percy was oh. a few feet away from where I'm recording, but I believe it is instead all the way upstairs, and I'm all the way down in the. Um, recording cave yes michael your mm-hmm. deep aggressive sigh of disappointment is perfectly justified and valid um i am also disappointed in myself um you should be thank you do do you want to like do you want to like rub salt any more salt in that wound or can we kind of move
1: on I mean, There's got to be a lemon around here somewhere right we can just squeeze that ow 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 anyway <laughs> um that's no more than you deserve (laughs) thank you (laughs) um
0: before this before i have to put the explicit tag on this podcast (laughs) let us uh continue with what i was going to say which is that i reread lost in the cosmos yet again in the last year or so
1: raise your hand if you're surprised
0: uh oh look it's a room full of full pockets um yeah um it it wasn't this year the year of our lord 2022 but it was in the last year i believe i don't know time is a flat circle um and one thing that jumped out at me partly because of some wrong objections to this passage by the by members of the group that i read the book with um, mm. was part of Walker Percy's focus on on the sex, um, okay. which is what the kids call it these days. Uh, kids. they they call it the pot, they call it the crack, and they call it the TikTok, and they call it the sex, um, and the YouTube and the YouTube, and... uh, <laughs> yes, um, so. Uh, Percy talks in that book, um, over the course of several sections, he kind of builds up a, a picture, I guess, of um, sort of the idea that, you know, talking about the idea that modern Western culture, European culture and American culture... Um, is in the sort of post-Christian era, mm-hmm. but that idea still has a good deal of the idea of a Christian era. Like, you mm-hmm. know, you don't get a post-Christian era without without there being a Christian part of it, right? Um, right. And specifically about sex, I the thing I wanted to do was see if I could quickly find the the passage. That I'm about to like butcher in the paraphrase here, but there's there's basically a passage where he talks about like the idea that Christianity is it's sort of the the Paulian idea where it's sort of this, but it's sort of not the Paulian idea where um, Paul says that we wouldn't know what we wouldn't be sinners without there being a law to sin against, right? Right. Um, mm-hmm. The idea that like, I don't know, does the law cause sin or does it simply, it, it, it but it, it, he goes beyond it pretty clearly, beyond, he goes pretty clearly beyond the idea that the law simply points out that sin that was already there to the idea that in a certain perverse way, it maybe causes sin or it, it suggests sin. Mm-hmm. Um, and Percy kind of runs with this. um into a post-Christian era to say that like certain things, certain ways, especially, uh, around sex that we talk about these things or that we portray these things, take all of their energy from a Christian milieu. Mm. Um, he has some phrase in one of his sections about like, it's something to the effect of like the thrill of, uh, you know, hands secretly exploring, under skirts and under under like Mm -hmm. coats or something like the idea that uh sex could be more exciting if there's like sort of a a forbiddenness to it and sort of a a,
1: uh
0: the idea that there is something that you're rebelling against um and maybe you know in a sense because this is like you know the we've uh We've hit some turbulence here in our uh, descent, but, like, I am shakily landing this plane onto discussion of (laughs) Jude the Obscure by Thomas Hardy. I don't remember if I've said that book yet. Um, (laughs) But the idea that... Or I guess the question I want to raise is do Sue and Jude exist, and does their, I guess, their relationship... I guess, okay, put it this way. Take just the good parts of the relationship. The thrills, the... You know, there's... Sex is alluded to, certainly, without, like... Mm -hmm. It's certainly not explicit, but it's... You'd have to be pretty naive or unfamiliar with Victorian linguistic conventions to deny that it's there. Um, Yeah. (laughs) um, Even more so than with a lot of other Victorian novels that definitely allude to sex. You know... Um, but the, the, the parts of their relationship that they consider good, whether it's the sex or the emotional intimacy or whatever, how much of that exists, if any, without a sort of, uh, as, you know, bourgeois and legalistic and, uh, um, any other pejoratives that you want to apply it to apply to it without that christianity or that anglicanism for them to rebel against
1: Hmm. that's an interesting question um i'm going to i'm not going to answer the question sure but i'm going to add to some discussion on the question sure (laughs) with a slight foray into names with michael um because sue um well there are a lot of like biblical names in the book which is like not out of place for the society anyway jude obviously is um the name of well two of jesus apostles um one of whom uh wrote the Epistle of Jude, and the other of whom is the betrayer, Judas. Um, and so there's, like, some interesting sort of conceptual stuff in there. That That's one I'm less interested in, though, than um, Sue, which is short for Susan or Susanna. Um, Susanna is not actually a biblical name, um, but an apocryphal name um, from uh, portions of the apocryphal daniel uh when in brief the story goes that susanna was a righteous woman um who was spied on by a couple of men while she was bathing in her yard um and they decided that they were going to seduce her and she refused them and so they decided they were going to have her killed for it um they brought her before the judges and stuff and said she was wicked and evil and all this stuff. And Daniel comes in all heroically and says, well, I'm going to interview both of you men separately and finds out that their testimonies don't agree. Like the details are totally different between the, the two of them. So those two men are killed instead of Susanna. She winds up being saved. Um, so with that connection, I think there's something to the idea of the the law making a thing forbidden and also a righteousness if you want to use that word um that's outside of what others want sure or aiming for i don't know if that makes sense. it does yeah okay okay i feel like i could i could say more about that but i'm not the thoughts aren't formulating precisely on that sure um one uh again,
0: like I didn't do a very good job like notating this uh this book with the mm. the developing thoughts I was having, but um one passage that did jump out at me is like related to uh the um the claim that I was making i think it probably ties in mm. nicely with with what you've just said um yeah uh we're in at christminster uh which is part second um chapter four a few paragraphs in page 83 in at least our editions um Mm -hmm. i assume i'm saying christminster correctly i don't know if there's some british pronunciation that turns it into like at chaucer or something but um
1: right i guess i was i was saying christminster Christmas, in my head. yeah
0: i i think i was in my head like that very well could be i don't know um yeah that's okay uh uh wait okay so this is the part basically where jude is like trying to resist falling in love with sue and failing at that mm-hmm. um But as the days... He
1: can't help falling in love. Anyway.
0: But as the days, and still more particularly, (laughs) the lonely evenings, dragged along, he found himself, to his moral consternation, to be thinking more of her instead of thinking less of her, and experiencing a fearful bliss in doing what was erratic, informal, and unexpected. Mm. Um, So, like... Uh, this this is you know this is a pretty minor passage but it's it's reflective of maybe stuff that has come before certainly stuff that comes after it's that that like uh that idea of the fearful bliss he's a hmm. um you know that there's a bliss there's a pleasure in the idea of desiring something that's so far outside of the social norms and even like theological or moral norms um Mm -hmm. that there's a pleasure in that um so again i'm positing like a very counterfactual counterfactual in the idea that like what if you take away all of all of sort of the rigidity or like the the authority of like culture custom tradition and theology um what if you take away all of the things that uh, forbid him from desiring Sue or having Sue? Yeah. Like what's left at that point? I guess Mm -hmm. the closest within this, uh, within the, the cultural milieu here is like, what if he never married the first wife? Um, and what if Sue was free? Like, are they still attracted to each other under those conditions? Um,
1: it's interesting and, and then again they're, like, they're, they're...
0: even even if you keep that like what if what if those mores are looser? what if like what if like no one cares right? like what if they're still mm-hmm. taught these things from a young age, but like they also are in the sort of culture where it's like if they choose to violate them no one cares or they can go somewhere where no one cares do they need people to right. be caring about whether they violate these these uh morals mores norms whatever word you want to use in right. order to define their relationship
1: right well and like there's that interesting runner through this too of this curse on their family cuz they're cousins yes. right um and the is it jude's aunt um who's all like oh your family can't marry because it's cursed and you're gonna get in trouble and it's doubly worse if you marry a relative right um and so like that that, that's an extra layer of this forbiddenness right um i don't know if that factors in um at all to their
0: i mean it's it it sort of adds to what i'm saying i guess uh yeah it's like it's it's interesting too because it's like as i understand and i meant to do more research on this for this episode and that also got away from me but as i understand thomas hardy had a very determinist uh philosophy in that he thought that Mm. like he was a bigger believer in what we might call genetic destiny or just destiny. Like, you know, he's, his conception of character was, was very in line with like the Greek tragedies where it's like you were fated to a certain thing and anything you tr- did to try to struggle against that would just cause the thing you were fated to. Um,
1: Which seems to play out like even just with that, you know, family curse. Right in here too because i i honestly think that's one of the it it could be argued against i guess but it 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 strikes me as one of the weaker points because it comes up just intermittently right and doesn't seem to have a whole lot of weight i mean to it but then it's also fulfilled (laughs) whether it's weak sort of i guess depends on your definition of weakness or of strength yeah but
0: um I mean, for one thing, it it falls right in line with a lot of the gothic elements that we talked about last episode. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. the idea of family curses is, like, a very strong uh, element in gothic. Like, I think uh, Mm -hmm. The Castle of Otranto, which is kind of considered, like, Mm. the first gothic novel, I want to say, had to do with family curses. Um, Mm -hmm. And even if it did, not like, certainly a ton of the gothic, you know, after it did um so there's very much that element uh and again i don't know it's one of those things where it's like how uncanny you know this is my like grad student paper topic question research question whatever you want to call it how uncanny is this novel we talked about the uncanny in relation to the gothic last time how uncanny is this novel how much of a a you know cosmological reality outside of the cosmological reality of the characters is implied or enforced in this novel like that's all what sort of the stuff about the curse goes to if you don't want to just say well it's lazy writing and bad foreshadowing or something like that (laughs) um but I feel like you've avoided my question, Michael, and that's fine. Okay. Like, Call me that's the test. that's fair. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe it's a maybe it's a bad question uh, on its face, but how much do you think, like, how what does their relationship look like, Jude and Sue's, if no one cares whether they have a transgressive relationship? This
1: that's fair. <laughs> um, I don't know. And I don't know if. I don't know if I don't know because the novel doesn't allow any views outside of it, or if I don't know because I just didn't think of it. Sure. Um, Like, I can speculate that. Maybe they'd just get bored and be a boring old married couple, couple that got annoyed with one another, just like every other married couple in this right. novel. Um, or... I mean... Maybe they'd be happy.
0: I don't know. I mean, I guess my question is, like, do they get together at all? Are they just sure. ships passing in the night? Because is, like, is the okay. transgression... Is the act of transgression or the participation in transgression, okay. is that what brings them together in the first place? I,
1: I will say on that part that I think when Jude made it to Christminster, where Sue already was, um, he wasn't necessarily looking for a partner right. at that point. It was just a connection. Right um even though his aunt had said don't right (laughs) um so i mean there's already some of that element of the forbiddenness but it's it's maybe a little more innocuous at first but then it does blossom beyond that so then you could make that question that you know if it hadn't been forbidden would he pursue her at all um yeah i don't know uh Maybe the by forbidding it, it uh, it put the possibility in his brain. Right,
0: which is very much that that you know? Pauline thing, and you know, yep. and even if you don't want to, if if as a listener you don't want to think about it that way, like it's a very human nature thing too, mm. right? Like yeah. they talk about um of of all things in teenage drinking, right? There's there's a thing called forbidden fruit theory that seems to have a lot of data to mm-hmm. back it up that the more verboten the more forbidden that drinking is the more likely you are to have a culture of teenage binge drinking um and there are a lot of other you know that's just a random example that occurred to me but there are a lot of other um uh ways that that kind of plays out so it's not to it's it's not necessarily to dismiss jude and sue's relationship like if that's Mm -hmm. what this is it seems like it's probably a very fundamentally like human nature driven thing Mm
2: -hmm.
0: um and like michael when i asked the question before when i when i you know finally uh uh did my prosecutor thing and made you answer me um and you you said i don't know which is fair like you know i you know i'm never trying to get a specific answer out of you um, yeah, and so you know and and I'm never I, I don't know if if the question as I've asked it is legitimate or not um, so you know, I don't know is a perfectly valid answer in other words. That said, what I what I almost thought you were gonna say and what would have been also been a, a perfectly good answer was just like I don't know and I don't know if it's because Thomas Hardy doesn't know if it's because uh Jude the Obscure yeah. the novel doesn't know, or if it's because Jude and Sue themselves don't know. And all you know, those are yeah. those are all like the distinctions between all of those are pretty pretty narrow but real. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah. I think any I, I don't we, we can go through any or all of them if you want to, but I think the fact that like all three of those are possibilities like mm-hmm. i think is interesting all by itself
1: it is yes it it is um well you've got this epigraph um at the beginning of part one um at marygreen it's a quote from esdris um another apocryphal book oh uh, yeah that of susanna um, so yea many there be that have run out of their wits for women and have become servants for their sakes many also have perished have erred and sinned for women oh ye men how can it be but women should be strong seeing they do thus um, and so y- y- the, you've got that epigraph setting up the concept that Jude is going to be Affected by women and his pursuit of women in some way, even if it's not as crass as he's a womanizer, but just that as he encounters these women going through his life Arabella and then Sue, um, they kind of have the control, the run of his life, right? Consciously or not, it's
0: that's an interesting one to, to like kind of play against um some of the things we quoted in the last episode uh specifically Mm. the author's postscript which i meant i meant to Mm -hmm. note this last episode but i believe the author's postscript was appended to a later printing of jude the obscure within thomas hardy's lifetime yeah our wordsworth edition has chosen to take that and put it at the beginning as a sort of introduction um uh, am i wrong about i that? think
1: no 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 i think you're you're part right i think the postscript was part of a a later edition but i think it was a a postscript to the oh preface. okay that's
0: very upsetting um <laughs> anyway what i was i mean it changes my experience not at all in the sense that like what I intended to do was treat it as a postscript in the sense that I was going to read the whole thing and then go back and read that. And then,
1: I mean, that's what you should do with books anyway. Never read the introduction to a novel until you've read the novel. Never read the preface to a novel. until. I mean, that really should
0: be the title of this podcast. Never read the preface until you've read the novel or something to that effect. Um,
1: we need that on t-shirts. Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) Uh, it's like it would be so specific but like the people who would look at that and recognize it in public would be like your best friends instantly. Um
1: Right. And therefore it's worth it.
0: Yeah. Anyway, um just just back that postscript bit that you quoted from the from the end of the postscript the German reviewer who said uh Sue was the first delineation in fiction of the woman um basically the woman of the feminist movement the slight pale bachelor girl uh which is also something
1: that's like i want that to be someone's like twitter description i'm just a slight pale bachelor (laughs) girl (laughs) i would i would be
0: willing to bet five dollars that it is
1: it's It's someone someone has that
0: um but you know and and like that's words to that effect are said in the novel too about sue Yes. uh the idea of like yeah yeah you know they, they don't use the word i i feel like they don't ever use the word feminist but in the novel sue is described mm-hmm. as like a feminist or an emancipated woman in basically all other words but those at various right. points um so uh I, I don't know i feel like this quote from esdras is almost uh almost like preempting or contradicting all of that. Like Mm. in the same way that it's like, you know, when boomers complain about millennials and are like, man, this generation is effeminate and weak. And then you can like find a quote from an 18th century Scottish journal. That's like, man, the the youth these days are effeminate and weak. And it's like, Uh or King Naram, King Naram, sin of Chaldea in 3800 BC saying uh the world is very old and evil the youth are very disrespectful um government is very Mm -hmm. corrupt like this isn't new this isn't like you know and this is something we've ranted about on this podcast during the i am a cat episodes among others but it's like Mm -hmm. it almost feels to me like thomas hardy saying like no this isn't new right like this is if anything it's cyclical if anything like i'm just or i'm recognizing something or something is happening that like has happened many times before and now it's you know it's our uh come round at last it's slouching towards bethlehem to be born to quote a very slightly later poet or very slightly later poem um Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know that was just my thought on the esdras quote yeah um yeah i mean my my take starting within within the world of the novel like as as a incarnated into the novel as possible if i can be forgiven for using that phraseology um (laughs) my take is that jude and sue don't know ever they don't ever know if they would be together if circumstances were different they're okay so much just partly their their own psychologies and their own like the the ways that they are unknown to themselves mm-hmm. um I mm. think it means that they at no point really have that kind of perspective. Even that like other people in the novel have about them, like oh who's the towards the end of the novels the the old lady that Sue uh stays with oh, or the widow Yeah. Um Who just, you know, partly probably because she has a long life to look back on, has this just, like, fabulous, fabulous, like, eagle-eyed perspective. And even though she's, you know, not necessarily right about everything, she comes much closer to giving Sue, like, actual wisdom than any of the other women in the novel do, let alone any Mm -hmm. of the men. Um, Mrs. Edlin. Yes, thank you. You know, uh... Uh, sue and sue and jude are so just like dialed into their perception of the moment and of the obstacles in front of them and of the you know they certainly have other things going on the intellectual pursuits and everything but they're so like it's almost that they're like so in the moment that they can't see that perspective sure is what i would tend to argue
1: i i want to say um i wrote into it's uh the first um at christminster yeah part is that the part the third um chapter five at christminster chapter five um yeah it's uh, part second okay um page 89 under the the heading of chapter five i wrote in which no one is a mind reader <laughs> um which then is sort of a a theme throughout the book that no one no one can read anyone else's mind yeah um no no one knows what's going on in anyone else's mind or experience um or feelings um page 147 this is later on yeah um talking about sue here that um, melchester says she chapter li- seven yep at, yeah thank you yep. um she lived in the same house with him but on a different floor and they saw each other little an occasional supper being the only meal they took together when sue's manner was something that of a scared child what she felt he did not know their conversation was mechanical though she did not look pale or ill um so that's like just the, this this idea that, you know, what whatever she's feeling, whatever she's thinking, he doesn't know. Yeah. He has no idea. they They have this conversation and they go through it mechanically. Um, and do they ever improve from there? I, I think, you know, you, you get a sense of Sue's reticence in their relationship um, and Jude's yearning for more because more of the book is written from his perspective. Yeah. Um, but even still they're not ever entirely on the same page, I don't think. Yeah. I think they get close. But they don't know each other.
0: You you're talking about Sue and Philatson specifically? Or any of the characters? No, Sue and Jude. Oh, Sue and Jude. Sue yes. and Jude. Okay. Because yeah. if you if you hadn't been talking about Sue and Jude, I was gonna say, yeah, they're even they like Sue and Philatson certainly are never on the same page. Oh certainly. Um, yeah but, like, Sue and Jude get so close to each other that, like, you it'd be tempting to read it that way, but I don't think there's ever any proof that they are, and there's a lot of proof that they are not.
1: Yes. So, I mean, that's Well, just... especially once we get to this... The, the scenes towards the end where she turns religious again, Yeah. right? Um, and I... I mean, this is reminding me of our our previous novel, uh, The End of the Affair, right? Right, Um, yes. I was going to bring
0: that up at some point if I remember to. Okay,
1: I'm very glad um, because there are so many uh, parallels to it um, where, in fact, Jude is the one who's running through the rain across the green to the church um, and getting Sue to follow him, right?
0: Yeah, (laughs) which, like, do we think that that's, that that's like a direct reference in the end of the affair
1: i don't know i i mean this novel is famous enough it could i be. mean i i would say that
0: if i was putting percentage chances on it i would say that there's a 99 percent chance that graham green had read this novel yes um
1: or or was it at least intimately familiar with its contents
0: right but just like being As smart as he was and as well read as he was in the culture that he was in, which is Mm -hmm. the same culture Thomas Hardy is in, you know, 30 years later or less, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it would be like, I don't know, this is a super unfair comparison, but it would be like you or me not knowing anything about the Da Vinci Code or something like, like, some, some novel that was infamous and that even if you didn't like it yeah sure is so, any novel that's like infamous and even if you didn't like it you would know about it harry potter um
1: yeah hungry games yeah i mean those are all like the jfic stuff yeah but like but
0: it's still you know i mean they didn't have those categories back then i guess but like no yeah any anything like that that's achieved that level of cultural notoriety and it's more and the better read you are and the more of a serious literary person you are the more likely you are to have read those notorious novels um Mm -hmm. i don't know it feels very very close and also just the the uh reverse cruel irony of of sue sort of getting away from jude by becoming more religious while jude becomes less religious it's not—it's right. not quite a direct inversion of all of the dynamics in the end of the affair, but it's so close in so it many ways. It really is. Like, yeah. I—I um, I mean, I again, I think if I'd been writing notes in this in my reading of this novel, which I probably should have, um, I would have written something at some point towards the end of the novel, something to the effect of uh, Sue's cheating on him with God. Where have we heard this before?
1: Hmm. right oh and like um love is uh idolized yeah too in um similar ways uh, i wrote down a, a page um oh yes here we go to uh, page 211 um this is at shaston chapter five sure um jude and sue are having a a heated conversation (laughs) they never do that (laughs) um and he says i think and know you are my dear sue from whom neither length nor breadth nor things present nor things to come can divide me which is a passage from um romans chapter eight which is talking about god that um these things can't divide us from God, and He's saying none of these things can divide me from you. And that's just one example of how He idolizes her, how He um, deifies her. Right. Basically, we we read a passage um, last episode too about how he saw what might be a glimpse of a divinity right. in her. There, right? Right. So, it, yeah, you know that those same themes of um, the love as idol, the love as patron saint
0: yeah yep are here yeah which is yet again something else we talked about in uh the end of the affair um Mm -hmm. as usual you know there could be a secret third episode to this discussion and a secret fourth episode um at least one of them i think would be like just a straight up comparison episode where we where we and this is again theoretical so i can pause it whatever i want but it's where we reread the end of the affair and then do us do like do a discussion episode but about both of them in parallel
2: mm-hmm.
0: and i think there's i think there's easily an hour there let alone you know far more than an mm. hour um absolutely however that said michael was there anything else you wanted to say sort of in this uh in this corral before we let the horses out into the next corral. No, Uh, I don't, please don't ask any questions about that metaphor. I did. Uh, Everyone knows it was bad, but uh, (laughs) we're going to just kind of ignore that please. And thank you. Um, Horses going from corral to corral, you know, like horses do. Uh, (laughs) Yes. So, um, we're we're not quite to the end of our time, but we're definitely getting no. there. Um, so, before we do, like, completely run out of time, you had mentioned last episode you wanted to talk about the BHT, um, which yes. is a phrase us literary critics use to denote some big horrible thing that happens that is potentially sensational, potentially shocking, potentially borderline gothic or not even borderline gothic just fully gothic um such as i don't know michael maybe like when the child of the main character of the novel hangs all of his siblings and then himself like maybe that would qualify
1: as one of those maybe you know as, as an example yeah. just you know i don't know why why your messed up brain came up with that example oh right um off the top of your head it was because
0: that's but, the bht that happens in this book
1: oh is that it oh so it's not your messed up brain it's it thomas absolutely hardy's messed is up
0: brain. thomas hardy's messed up brain thank you very much <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay i i have like i have so many thoughts about this that i i'm not okay here's here's where i'll start um I'll start historically. Thomas Hardy. I don't know if if you remember this from uh, BritLit um, that Doctor Hannah would have taught um, to you, um, but Thomas Hardy, in his life as a young boy out in the fields of England, yes, um, one birthday was gifted with a telescope. Okay. And took that telescope immediately up into his room, set it up, plopped his eye into the peak hole, and what he saw was a man hanging himself from a barn.
0: You know, I hadn't, like, remembered that or thought of that. I think uh, Dr. Hannah did tell us this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's something that's that's stuck out in my brain, yeah. and I think that's directly connected here with this book, just the the manner of the the murder suicide, um, of the children here, and like it, how shocking that must have been for young Thomas <laughs> um, to see that, yeah. uh, and the fact that it's like part of his biography basically and in how he studied like it's significant right and so i think it's significant here as well that that's something that's communicated into this novel sure very very directly um now with that historical Mm -hmm. note um i am wondering how Uh, I'll I'll talk maybe craft here a little bit. Craft-wise, how well does the novel prepare for that event? Um,
0: that was, like, a question I also had. Okay. And there was a certain point, (laughs) like... There's some pretty obvious foreshadowing bits, like, in the pages right before Mm -hmm. where the... The yeah. conversation oh gosh, that yeah. the the spooky child has with Sue <laughs> and about, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, well, maybe, maybe it would be less of a burden to you and dad if you didn't have children. And Sue's yep. like, well, I don't know where this is going, so I'm gonna say maybe. Um, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that whole, like, that's some pretty obvious, like, uh i don't know if foreshadowing is even too subtle of a term but um i don't know what other term there is for it um i will say before that like in the last quarter or so of the novel there were some i guess basically everything around i cannot remember the description of or rather the name of the oldest child but everything around
1: well he becomes named jude they name him jude he doesn't have a name right before he's named jude it
0: felt to me like everything surrounding him like in sort of a thematic and um uh you know literary way led with sort of an evil logic to this conclusion and like i it I cottoned on to what was going to happen probably 50 to 100 pages before it happened. However, uh, well, it, I, I took uh, Romantics and Victorians with Dr. Hannah, same as you. Mm-hmm. Not in the same semester. Dr. Hannah had us read Mayor of Casterbridge. And right. And in one of the, the lecture periods where we covered Thomas Hardy and Mayor of Casterbridge, um dr hannah did take us through some of hardy's other works just just kind of talked us through them Mm. and jude the obscure was one of them and he did tell us like the the bht that's probably where i learned that Mm. phrase actually um he he told us the (laughs) bht of jude the obscure uh so when i say that like the foreshadowing like made me realize exactly what was happening pretty early um that's very much potentially that it unburied some of those memories um so mm. it was like prior knowledge rather than like me necessarily getting it out of a clear blue sky
1: okay um yeah, i okay, I think I have a couple of thoughts about this um. There, there, there are some preparations for this tragedy to occur. I think the, the way the novel is structured, and you're right in pointing out that it's like the last quarter of the novel. It when once we get to the uh, part fifth at Alberchem and elsewhere, um, that's that's the section in which this child who would become Jude is introduced uh it's on page 239 in our edition i think it's chapter three um when jude receives a letter from arabella revealing that there's a he has a child he has a son um and then it goes on from there um and they meet him they adopt him care for him um and then after that section then goes to to at Christminster again and at that point there's a time lapse um because now they have several children and then that terrible conversation happens um in chapter two of that section um and that's what leads to the the death so this um child exists in the pages of the novel for Almost 60 pages. Almost. Hmm. Um, out of this 360-page book. Almost 60 pages. So, almost a sixth uh, of the novel is where he exists. Right. Um, the fact that it's so small, the fact that it's so late, strikes me as... A later edition especially when we look at how the fourth part ends at shaston mm-hmm. um that's effectively where uh philotson has said okay sue you can go with your lover sure you know um so jude and sue have gotten what they want right they're both out of their marriages they're both there you know there may be some loose ends to tie up especially arabella who's kind of a loose cannon sure <laughs> um and like what's what's going to happen with her um phillipson seems okay with this but there's got to be some repercussions to it so okay there, there are a few loose ends that maybe we need to tie up emotionally if nothing else but at that point it seems like it's all resolved except that the novel needs to punish jude um, and so it's at that point that it invents his son and has his son then kill the rest of his children and him. I, I think that the reading of the younger Jude, who's called like young father time or, yeah. or you know, the, the, those little nicknames that, that come in that are mangled mouthfuls. <laughs> nicknames um he isn't really a real character um he's a device for the novel sure to create an emotional effect on those characters and theoretically on the readers i don't know it is he... it, it struck me as good not genuine is he
0: a device or is he a force of nature
1: a device and i mean that very very directly um because it's it's not like he came in with any reality to him he came in as something that the n- narrator the novel the author needed to be there sure. um i guess my main
0: question maybe back in the background of of the question i just asked yeah is you say the you know uh hardy or the novel or whatever needed to punish jude um yep i guess my question is like would jude have been punished one way or the other with or without this or in other words is there a happy ending for jude or for jude and sue
1: um like so desperate remedies does kind of create that happy ending for the sure. characters not to spoil that one for you um but some of the plot is similar um, listener, um, go
0: read desperate remedies or make peace with the fact that we're going to spoil
1: it yep um but the the resolution winds up being more or yes. less happy for the main characters for the jude and sue characters anyway so that's possible um and maybe thomas hardy is like nah i need to i need to be dark. okay It's possible, Um, and we need a tragedy. Like it's possible in Um, Desperate
0: Remedies, which is right a pretty explicitly sensationalist and like almost pulpy kind of novel. Um, Right? Is it possible in this in this novel that's much more tinged with realism? Like, Mm -hmm. I I guess within the premises of the novel and the culture and the the plot that the novel has set up. It's right. difficult for me to see a happy ending yeah. for Jude and Sue that doesn't, at the very I, least, involve them like getting on a boat to New York City and like you know scrabbling mm-hmm. out a hard scrabble life as immigrants, which has its own set of like challenges and potential tragedies. Right.
1: Yeah, I I, I don't think this novel would. Look kindly on a simple, happy ending. Simple, happy ending for these two characters. Um, If they got the they live happily ever after, it would be with some pretty intense baggage and damage. Um, But, okay, so your point about, your question about the force of nature idea, that, like, I, I think that touches on the idea of jude and sue need to be punished basically but by whom um does the society need to punish them does god need to punish them where where does their tragedy come from or who enacts their tragedy um and they've already been striving a good deal against the society right the and the, the the church that Jude was wanting to, to join as as clergy and, and such and um, wound up not being able to do that for conscience reasons and, and all that. Uh, and so they, they've been striving and more or less come to terms with the society end of things. Um, even while in this part five um, or part six, they, they are facing more of it with the, the housing difficulties at Chris, Christminster. Um but that's not directly the cause for this tragedy. Right, yeah. It
0: does it does feel very much in some senses out of nowhere because of that. Like it doesn't yeah. it certainly doesn't like directly like flow and, out of any of the things that the novel has set up before
1: it. Right, and and some of my and I'll call it an objection some of my objection to it does come out of the characteristics of little father time himself um this character who just says what's most convenient for the narrative (laughs) when he when he speaks it's just to be convenient to the narrative when he he'll say something to sue like oh are you my mother now um that's not real (laughs) no this this eight-year-old child isn't gonna right. say that um that's it, it uh, everything he says everything he does yes yeah. he's not a real character yeah
0: and i guess like i if what you're positing is that like this character doesn't work for the novel that's been set up before him or that he feels mm-hmm. just like out of place and even poorly worked into the novel as a whole i would tend Mm -hmm. to completely agree with that um yeah my reading on him uh i guess the only place that i would like diverge from what you've said is like i i suspect what hardy wanted him to be was a force of nature or a force of fate like Sure. Yeah, Sue and, uh, Sue and Jude needed to be punished, but Hardy doesn't have room in his fictional universe for, like, God or even messengers of God punishing these people. But there's some force, there's some, like... Again, it's very Greek. It's very Greek tragedy. Yep. This force that's like, okay, you have tried to resist, you've tried to you know go outside the boundaries of society and like carve out a happy place for yourself outside of those and you can't um so this is mm-hmm. like i don't know it's sort of it just it almost reminded me of like uh in like especially older video games if you had like um you know if you had a game that was like pretending to be sandboxy but wasn't really like if your character or your car, depending on the game, like, strayed too far outside the lines, you'd get picked up and put back into whatever arena you were supposed mm-hmm. to be in. Or some right. extremely, like, if it was a shooting-type game, some extremely powerful character would just pop up and kill your character, and then you'd respawn, like, in the place you were supposed to be. Something like that. Like, mm-hmm. that's what Old Father Time yeah. seems like to me in in a in this book is just like no you've you've gone too far outside the bounds of normal society this force of nature fate gothic supernatural it's definitely not god but it's some kind of supernatural element something like that has like been activated or been triggered and put into your lives to like correct this great error
1: And I think that's keyed into by that nickname of father time, Mm -hmm. you know, like this is, this is the, the inescapable ultimate effect, right? That's, that's father time is, is the, the one who carries around the sickle. Um, you know, the grim reaper is derived from father time, which itself, you know, father time himself is from the Greek God Kronos, um right <laughs> or the yeah the that's Titan. the other the other thing um, that occurred to me is
0: it feels very much like uh um destiny in uh the sandman series yep um oh it yeah it was of course mm-hmm. built on chronos and father time and all of those other yep you know mm-hmm. just that yeah. inevitable uh sort of it felt very much like you know in the way that sandman sometimes does if the character of destiny from sandman had reached back into jude the obscure and said no you've gone outside of your destiny i have to you know make this thing happen um but like all of the ways that we're right. talking about this do point up for me the ways that it doesn't work uh yep. in the sense that like we've gone very like cuz everything surrounding this boy is like it's very gothic it's very mythical it's anything but realistic in the in the sense of realism as a set of literary techniques um so yeah it whether for for the reasons i've implied or the reasons that you've implied like it does seem like a trip outside of the novel as it's already set up and it does seem sort of bad Mm. (laughs) i don't know of a more elegant way to yeah put it for that reason
1: I think for, so you could, you could go two ways in this, you know, that this book is kind of a collision between the realism and the Gothic kind of literature, yeah. kind of. And so you could kind of go two ways with that. You could, you could make their downfall come out of this Gothic ghostly supernatural event, or you could bring it out of a realism sort of thing. And I think it tries to straddle both and, and succeeds in yeah. either. Um, the the better way so if i could hypothetically rewrite the novel it would come out of jude mm. himself um which you've got this great decline in jude all well yeah because Sue's that he's, he he's this, cheating on him with god this, well yes <laughs> there's that um but but like just starting with with him before sue before arabella oh, sure. he's this mountainous intellect right i mean he's learning these he's teaching himself these languages he's a genius okay the and and that is made very clear very well in the beginning of the novel and that genius is still there even when he makes it to chris Minster and everything he is very brilliant um but then that starts to decline and he has to keep working as right. a stonemason um and he can't keep nurturing that intellect. And, like, he, th- there's a line in there, too, that, you know, he hopes to basically vicariously live through his his son, you know? Uh, like, maybe, you know, I couldn't make it, right. but maybe he can. So, okay, introduce this child. Fine, let's leave that. Um, as objectional as that, objectionable as that might be, that, oh, yes, you have a child. It's a soap <laughs> opera all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, Leave that. Okay, he wants to live vicariously through his son. Let the intellect be there again, but then let that son succeed and cause Jude to fall more into obscurity as a result.
0: Sure. Yeah. And I mean, there's a very, like... There is a certain misogynistic interpretation where, you know, you say Jude was a genius and then he basically falls into women. It's like the... The worst, most misogynistic (laughs) interpretation of, like, the Garden of Eden story or whatever. Um, Right. And I don't think it has to be that, like, I think... No. I suspect Jude's, like, the... So from this genius position, from this towering intellect position, I think the downfall is the fact that Jude needs other people. And he doesn't, Mm. like it could be male friends he could he could even you know even in Mm -hmm. he could be gay and and have lovers or the point is like there's any situation where he needs anybody other than himself which again is the human condition like leads to his downfall because he can't stay in this ivory tower forever Mm -hmm. indefinitely um and i don't i don't have a specific way that i would rewrite it i mean if this were like our homework prompt and we were supposed to you know turn in on wednesday our rewriting yeah. of the plot i do think i could come up with one more satisfying than the ending of of this book um more well right. a, even a more satisfying like uh uh b wait shoot what is it BHT. BHT. Thank you. Um, yeah, like, uh, I, I could come up with a better one, but, like, I guess, yeah, the point is that it, in a book that has, as you said, straddled the, the gothic line, it just turns full gothic and almost full, like, parabolic or, or allegorical, um, for no discernible mm-hmm. reason other than, like, maybe Thomas Hardy couldn't think of another way to get his point across um yeah right uh i feel like i had something else i wanted to say about that but i can't remember what it was um and we're (laughs) super over time so
1: imagine that
0: (laughs) (laughs) right michael uh it turns out uh neither of us have lost so but, we don't have to be punished. How is this possible. Uh well, it's possible cuz you didn't choose to like take one for both of us and prevent both mm. of us from losing in two episodes. So, no pressure, but that's on you. Um mm. So, that's that's not a thing. I mean, unless you want to you want to like I mean, I don't know. No, mm. nothing. You got nothing to say here. Mm. Yeah, that's what I that's what I thought. Okay, fine, 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 fine. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Um, I believe. We, I mean, unless you wanted to, did you? I mean, I, I'm sorry. Did you? I mean, I. What? What was that? No, no, I'm I'm good. Oh. I'm good. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know why you. Well, anyway, whatever. Um. <laughs> so, uh, I believe we rate the book and the pairing now. Yes. Yes. So, Michael. On a scale of buy, borrow, or forget about it, what would you rate Jude the Obscure?
1: Jude the Obscure. Oh my goodness. I am going to rate this a borrow. Um, really solid borrow. It has historical significance. It has a lot of, I think, really good plot stuff happening. But then it, it, it doesn't conclude well. I don't think it. It you know the the I could I could take the beginning seventy five percent and the last five percent <laughs> fill in something else in between for that other twenty percent in there sure um and it's much better I think um yeah it just but you know even there it has that has some historical interest I think mm-hmm. um. So if if you really want to research this book and research Thomas Hardy and the Victorians and and such, read it several times. But I I think it's worth one read, and then you can move on. Sure. Um, for
0: myself, I'm gonna rate it a forget about it. Like, okay. I honestly, I think. The people who need to read this book will read this book because I think it's sure. basically people who are super interested in Victorian literature. Um, you know, anyone in in um, college of any kind, whether undergrad or postgrad or whatever. Like, you know, there are situations where you'd read this book. I guess the only people I would recommend mm-hmm. this book to would be Thomas Hardy completists um Mm -hmm. and maybe people who are interested in the antecedents to something like the end of the affair because i do think there's some antecedent stuff there sure to Mm
1: -hmm.
0: pretty much anyone else i would say i would honestly say if you're interested in thomas hardy read the mayor of casterbridge um and i suspect far from the madding crowd and let those be your two like, yeah. I don't think... I, I suspect you don't need to read any more than that. Um, I am glad I read this in the sense that I definitely was going to read it at some point. Just as sure. I am still going to read Far From the Madding Crowd at some point, even though I don't like right. this book and I don't like The Mayor of Casterbridge. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just... I think, and we didn't get into this too much, I think the pl- plot meanders a lot, even without yeah. the, the, you know, the nonsense that is the, um, the big, uh, the big horrible PhD. thing. Yeah, the BHT. Um, I think it meanders a lot. I think it repeats itself a lot. I don't even think it's Thomas Hardy's best prose, necessarily. No. Um... Later in the book, it gets better, but certainly the first parts of the book are, like, not great, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I just didn't find quite enough to, to recommend in this book that I would tell anyone with, like, a limited mortal lifetime to spend time on it. Um, That's fair. Yeah. Uh, so, Michael, what did you think of uh, Redbreast Redbreast mm. Pedro Jimenez bottling um paired with this book
1: total mismatch sure it's horrible no (laughs) i mean this 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 match is is not good uh don't don't drink this red breast with jude the obscure um the red breast is too bright jude the obscure is too i don't know it's too something (laughs) Um, I, I want here. Here's what I'll say. I want to sit longer with the red breast than I want to sit with Jude the Obscure. <laughs> sure. So that's why it's a total mismatch.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I would tend to write uh, red breast, uh, style edition. The what also total mismatch. Like for very similar reasons. Like there's a lot of like bright and sweet like honeyish, almondy notes mm. happening i'm i'm reading a lot of these off of the label i'm gonna be honest um <laughs> i love it the, the honey thing isn't on the label but i i definitely am picking up a honey you know set of notes but uh yeah it's just a very nice it's a very nice bright almost optimistic especially for an irish whiskey and like Mm -hmm. that doesn't make any sense for this book so
1: no i i will say this is this is maybe no it's not it's not the only book that we've read on the podcast but it is one of the few that has come into the category of books i have almost thrown across the room oh wow
0: okay so was there a, a a point you can identify that made you throw it across the room or not
1: uh, it's really just to do with the, 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 the boy Jude, the young, Jude, okay. the young father time character yeah. pretty much as soon as he was introduced. Like I was, I was with it, you know, I, I could handle it. Did you know um, what was coming at that point? I... No. Okay. No. Okay. Um, as soon as the character was introduced, I was like, what are you doing? Yeah. yeah it's a, what? it's
0: like a recognizable distinct tonal shift. And not in yeah, a good way. It is.
1: No, it's not. Um, that's that. That just ruined the book. And that's that's that. It's that in particular that I'm saying is is what really makes this whiskey a total mismatch. Because sure. there, there are other elements of the book that make it a total mismatch too. But like that in particular, it's like. But like, there
0: no. was no point at which you wanted to throw this whiskey
1: across the room. There's no point at which I wanted to throw the whiskey across the So, way. like, yes. it's a total mismatch right there. Exactly. Um, they just, they can't stay together. They can't be married.
0: Yeah. I gotcha. I gotcha.
1: Nature would contrive a way to tear them
2: apart.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't think we're going to get a better button on this episode than that, so I'm going to just say, um... Our next book is Filthy Animals by Brandon Taylor. Uh, please feel free to read along. Uh, give us your feedback in the contact section of TapestryRadio.org. If you put Scotch Talk in the subject line, it'd be easier to recognize. You can also tweet, a, tweet us at Room with Scotch on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You can tweet me at bjartlett. That's at B-J-A-R-T-L-E-T-T. I was in 10th grade when I made my Twitter account, and it was like a Bjork joke. Don't judge me. Uh, Michael, where can they find you on Twitter?
1: At M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L.
0: Excellent. Um, If you enjoyed this show, uh, you can uh, listen to the other shows on the Tapestry Radio Network. There's Intermission, our backstage audio drama podcast, Us Play Fiasco, our fiasco rpg real play podcast there's freddy goes to a podcast another literary one you might like where three grown men read through the freddy the pig series which is a children's book series from 100 years ago and then there's pokemon rollout uh our pokemon tabletop united actual play rpg podcast um Mm -hmm. please rate and review us on apple podcasts and other podcast ones um Mm -hmm. and i think that's it michael is there anything i've left out anything you want to say
1: nothing for the actual recording except that we still need to sync up our tracks so don't stop recording after we're done
0: okay that's a good that's a good note um that said until next time gentle listener just remember it's our party and we'll cry if thomas hardy like switches genres on us five six of the way through a novel (laughs) obscurantism and obfuscation